So right now, I guess what we're going to talk about this here now is that we do have a, uh, this is and for people who may have just stumbled in and don't know who, what it is, it's the Michael Slate Show. And I'm Michael Slate. That's right. I'm Michael Slate. Try and catch me. Try and find me. <laughs> okay. In today's show, we're going to talk about issues and ideas that are crucial for the fate of humanity. But first, check this out. Kentucky, God damn. Kentucky today became the first state to ban all abortions. The only two abortion clinics in that state stopped doing them today. Right now, women who need abortions in that state are having their appointments canceled. Right now, they are being told that their lives, their dreams, their hopes for the future, their plans, their physical safety doesn't count for shit because a bunch of women haters, a bunch of theocratic Christian fascists have taken the reins of the state and told them that they are gonna be forced to have a child, whether they want one or not. They're gonna have their lives and their futures foreclosed. And if we don't act, if we don't stand up across this country and raise hell, this could be the fate of women across the country. The US Supreme Court is getting ready. They are on track to overturn Roe v. Wade, to gut women's right to abortion nationwide in just a few weeks. People are sleeping through this. They're sitting back. They don't even know what's happening. If you don't go out and raise hell and raise the green bandana and get in the streets and let them know, then you are allowing this atrocity, the enslavement of half of humanity to go down. This is not a drill. Abortion is already effectively banned across Texas. A law is on the books to criminalize it in Oklahoma, scheduled to go into effect in August. Today, Ron DeSantis, that Trump wannabe fascist, disgusting specimen of our species, signed a 15-week ban in Florida on abortion. This is going to be the future unless we stand up and stop it, and only the people can stop this. Only the masses of people rising up, raising hell, waving the green bandana, the symbol of abortion rights and struggle for abortion rights that came out of Latin America and that riseupforabortionrights.org is taken up here. You need to be part of this. Which side are you on? Which side are you on? I want to call on you to get out in the streets and raise hell. Go to the website, riseupforabortionrights.org. Sign up. Get involved. Be part of the National Organizing Summit this week and be part of emergency actions coming in the days and weeks ahead. Everything is on the line right now for the future of women and girls. All right. That was Sansara Taylor with Kentucky Goddamn. Now, we're going to be talking more about this at the back end of the show, and we'll hear some voices from last weekend's protest by Rise Up for Abortion Rights. All right? That's right. Rise Up for Abortion Rights. Keep that going in your head, all right? Rise Up for Abortion Rights. The professor and public intellectual Noam Chomsky recently said, we're approaching the most dangerous points in, a, in human history. And when you hear a statement like that from a guy like him, you know what he's talking about. The climate emergency, war with countries armed with nuclear weapons, the rise of fascism. Sisters and brothers, think about all that. That's the world we live in right now. And I would add one more thing. The inaction of many decent people, the people who could act to change this, this trajectory. So on today's show, as I said, We'll be talking about the fascist, misogynist violence being perpetrated by abortion bans that are spreading from state to state, all right? Abortion bans that are spreading from state to state. And we'll talk about mobilizing millions in the streets to stop this. So we'll hear a special, we're going to hear a speech 
by Sansara Taylor from Nationwide Protests Saturday, April 9th, or for na from Nationwide Protests Saturday, April 9th. Then we'll hear, we'll be joined by Skylar Solomon, an organizer with Rise Up for Abortion Rights in Los Angeles. And opening the show up, we're going to be listening, we're going to be talking about rapid developments in the campaign to free Iran's political prisoners. The battle to free Iran's political prisoners remains intense and global. This week, a leading human rights advocate, Narjas Mohammadi, was returned to prison in Iran and her family subjected to a bar barrage of death threats from the Islamic Republic. At the same time, a new Amnesty International report has exposed the Islamic Republic of Iran's systematic denial of medical care to, to prisoners, a threatening move that sometimes becomes a death sentence. And sisters and brothers, for people who don't weren't around when this was happening, when, I, when I'm talking about Narjez Mohammadi, we actually we paid some attention here on what was happening to her. And we, we actually tried to, 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 to keep things hot because they, in that kind of situation, the killing is not an unheard of phrase, okay? So when I'm, like I was saying, is at the same time, the new Amnesty International report has exposed the Islamic Republic of Iran's systematic denial of medical care to prisoners, a threatening move that sometimes means death sentence, okay? Sometimes that means a death sentence. There's also been important news from around the world in the battle to free those political prisoners. Now, this includes a stepped-up campaign to free Britain's remaining dual nationals, as well as Mariam Clarenz's campaign to free her mother, Nahid Tagabi, a German-Iranian citizen who has been imprisoned since October 2020. And we have done a lot of coverage on that and we'll continue, continue to do the coverage on that because it's just that damn important, all right, for what it means for this sister, but also what it means for the rest of humanity. All of this is taking place in the midst of conflict and major developments in Europe, the Middle East, and the world. So I'm very happy to be speaking about all of this today with Larry Everest. Larry is a contributor to the website revcom.us revolution, revcom.us slash revolution who reported from Iran in 1979 and 1980. He's the author of Oil, Power, and Empire, Iraq, and the U.S. Global Agenda, and uh, which details America's two, 2003, which details America's 2003 invasion of Iraq and its so-called war on terror. You know, you get a little bit mixed up on, the, on, on speaking when you're getting really hot about what the hell is going on in this world today and the need to do something about it. Well, recently, Larry's been very active, a very active member of the International Emergency Campaign to Free Iran's Political Prisoners, or IEC. And you can follow him on Twitter at Larry Everest. That's L-A-R-R-Y-E-V-E-R-E-S-T. That's right, spelled out just like the, like the mountain, right? Larry, welcome to the show, man. Hey, Michael. Good to be with you. Yeah. Uh, well, let's jump into this because I want people to get as much as they can out of this. When we, when we talked last month, Nazanin was... Nazanin, <laughs> I always have a hard time with this. Nazanin uh, Zagari Ratcliffe and Anush Ashuri, two Iranian-British uh, dual, dual nationals who had been unjustly held as political prisoners and bargaining chips 
by the, uh, by the Islamic uh, Republic of Iran for years had just been freed and returned to England and, to, and uh, to be, they were basically to be returned to their families as well. Now I understand that there's been important new developments in the battle to free two of the remaining Iranian-British dual nationals who are still in prison. Let's talk about all this. What's going on and why is this significant? Well, first of all, uh, Anushay and Nazanin's release was very significant and a very important battle for the people. Uh, it opened up the possibility and, and raised people's sights to the possibility of freeing other dual nationals and ultimately all Iranian political prisoners. And, you know, in your run-up, you were talking about some very heavy issues facing the, hum uh, the future of humanity, and the battle for these political prisoners is very much related to what kind of a future Iran's going to have and what kind of a future really the world is going to have, because the people Iran is imprisoning are people of, very, of diverse ideologies, but in general who are fighting for a... Uh, a much better life. Um, one of the one of the uh, which I'll talk about uh, in a moment. So their freedom also illustrated the importance of protest. Both Nazanin's family and Anushay's family raised hell, and that's one of the reasons that they um, that they were freed. And we're, we feel we're in a moment right now because. This issue of well, why were only two of British uh, Britain's four or five dual national prisoners freed? Why not the other two or three? It's very much in the news. The uh, this deal that Britain and Iran struck very much in the news in Britain, and also these nuclear negotiations are still going on. So this is a moment. The international emergency campaign and supporters of the other uh, dual nationals feel is very critical to step up a global outcry uh, because one of the things we learned is just leaving it to the governments to negotiate based on their interests isn't going to get justice for everyone. Why did these, why did Mehran Roof get left behind? Why did Moran Tabaz get left behind? These are the people that we're putting a lot of emphasis on right now. Uh, Morad Tabaz is an environmentalist. Uh, you know, he's an expert on uh, um, threatened species. Um, and he was arrested uh, four years ago, been held on trumped-up charges. He's a 66-year-old man with health issues. He was supposed to be part of this deal that was cut, and then at the last minute, he was not released, and he's been returned to Evan Prison. And very importantly, his daughter, Roxanne, has begun public protests. She was out on Wednesday in front of the foreign ministry, along with Amnesty International, demanding that her father be released. So this is very important. She deserves widespread global support uh, to demand um, that Morad be uh, be freed. 
The other uh, prisoner, the other uh, British-Iranian dual national, is Mehran Roof, a labor activist and a teacher. And, um, you know, there's an important new statement that's been put out by his representative, Sattar Rahmani, uh, and we and the international, the IEC, uh, supported him in doing this. And this is an important statement because the British government has come out and said, uh, you know, they were asked by the press, they were asked in Parliament, well, why didn't you include Mehran? Why aren't you talking about Mehran? And they, they claimed that um, he never asked for assistance from the British government and that he wanted his case uh, to be kept uh, quiet. And, um, you know, said in a statement, uh, Sitar makes very clear that uh, these st- st- unequivocally clear that these statements are not true, that in fact the family did ask for representation. They never stated the case should be kept quiet. Um, and uh, they they uh, demanded the British government fight to secure his release. So this has been an, a very important statement to clarify his status and that, yes, indeed, he does want to be freed from this hellhole he's in in Evan prison in Tehran. And... Um, you know, people need to come to his support. And I just I just want to quickly, people should know that the government of Iran and the British government, these other imperialist governments where people, um, uh, like Germany, for example, whose dual national Nahid Tagavi has been, uh, has been imprisoned as well, they tell these families to be quiet and just let us do quiet diplomacy and so on. And as um, uh, Morad's family is saying, they feel totally betrayed by this, and they have been betrayed by it. And this really points to what the emergency campaign has been fighting for, is to rely on the masses of people and fight in the interests of humanity not proceed from the interests of these reactionary governments that are in opposition to our um, to what how we need to get to a better world. And people should go to our website, free Iran's political prisoners now dot org or free Iran's political prisoners now dot org or our social media, which is at Iran Prison Emerge, E-M-E-R-G, at Prison Iran, Iran Prison Emerge, I'm sorry, Iran Prison Emerge, and follow us, and you'll find information about these different cases. You can sign our emergency appeal. You can share uh, what we're doing on social media and add to and help create a global outcry and demand that all these imprisoned dual nationals should be freed and all Iran's political prisoners should be freed. Let me ask you this, Larry. Um, earlier, I mentioned the case of Najee. Is it Najee's? Nagas Mohammadi. Nagas Mohammadi. Okay. Why is her situation so important and so troubling? I understand that the regime is 
even threatening her family now. And now they've been uh, exposed for denying many prisoners needing that who needed health, health care. What is it? What is it about this? Well, Nargis Mohammadi is a very high-profile human rights defender. She's an activist for women. And by the way, Iran is a theocracy that enforces patriarchy, a patriarchal oppression on Iran's women. Um, she's been a very vocal fighter against that, and she's and and she's also been a journalist. And what uh, one of the things that distinguishes her is her enormous courage. She was jailed for five or six years, let, was let out, and um, has never stopped protesting, including when she was in prison. And just recently, she was, uh, after she had been released uh, from prison uh, in 2021, she was then sentenced to another 30 months and 80 lashes. Just think about that as a medieval uh, torture, really, and punishment of lashing people. Um, for, for propaganda against the regime by uh, speaking against the death penalty. That's considered propaganda. Mm. By, for sitting in in prison uh, against mistreatment of other people, by supposedly defaming the prison for exposing the torture and beatings they were carrying out. So just she refused as a nonviolent protest to even go back to Avon, but they came to her house and took her back this week. So there, there are very grave concerns uh, for, her, for her safety. And that's especially the case um, because there's recently, as you mentioned, there's been a whole online Twitter campaign organized by the, the Islamic Republic and its supporters trying to attack her personally, attack her family personally, threaten them, uh, and so on and so forth. So this is outrageous, and, and a light needs to be shined on this, uh, on her case, uh, as well as the cases of other people. And, well, let me let me get know, into the, some of this with other with other people too, because I think it's actually very important that people understand the all of the things that are going on here. Who are, and the, these things are often hidden, you know, you know, from people around the world in, in terms of knowing what's happening, and and the need for people to understand what's happening and to act on that is very important. But let me before I ask you more about that. Let me remind listeners that this is the Michael Slate Show, and we're talking to Larry Everest of the International Emergency Campaign to Free Iran's Political Prisoners. So let's let's move along on that, Larry, because I, you know there's this. How do you evaluate these developments in, in 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 light of everything that's going on now in the world? You know, I know that your your organization, the Campaign to Free Iran's Political Prisoners, now has uh, taken a broad internationalist approach, including stu- uh, struggling with people here to support people in other countries. And you make the point that this does not mean supporting the rulers of the U.S. or other imperialist countries. In fact, the U.S. is not a force for good in the world, and we need to rely on the people internationally. So let's talk about that. How does all this fit together? Well, one, people should find out what's going on in a country like Iran and care about it. You know, these are fellow human beings, courageous people who are being subject to horrible 
treatment, inhuman, savage treatment. You had mentioned the report from Amnesty International. They titled it In Death's Waiting Room because nearly 100 prisoners in the last decade have died because they were denied uh, medical care. And there was no accountability in the prison. Uh, Anushe Ashuri has just been, we just talked about him. Uh, he's been released, and he's done very powerful interviews in The Guardian and in the BBC about what it was like to be in these dungeons, including having his interrogators show him pictures of his family who lives in England, his son, his daughter, his wife, who, by the way, have all signed and supported the emergency appeal of our campaign, and they were, uh, and 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 these interrogators, these fascists, were telling him, "We can get to these people any place around the world." You know, threatening uh, threatening that uh, him with their death, and at the same time, Anushe talks about how the prisoners work together to try to counter it, counter uh, the brutality of the regime. So that's one thing that's very important. And again, our website, freeiranspoliticalprisonersnow.org, for all this. But I think the other point about, um, uh, you know, that you're raising about proceeding from an internationalist perspective and not the interests of the different regimes I just have to say that that right at the moment, and I'm, you know, speaking as a revolutionary communist from my, my perspective on this uh, at this point, um, you know, there's a whole hue and cry about war crimes and crimes against humanity in Ukraine. And the Russian military is a reactionary, oppressive military representing the imperialist interests of Russia and it and it seems that there is great evidence of terrible destruction and wanton killing going on in Ukraine. But the U.S. has no right to get on its high horse and talk about war crimes and crimes against humanity or how it is a friend of the people and a force for good in the world. Um, were they screaming about war crimes when... I, I was seeing children dying in Iraq in the 90s as a result of U.S. destroying Iran's electrical system and then imposing sanctions, uh, or when Madeleine Albright said it was worth it to kill 500,000 Iraqi children then, or what about the, the 2003 invasion of Iraq based on absolutely absolute and blatant lies that Iraq had weapons of mass destruction and was connected with al-Qaeda, a war that has directly killed well over 100,000 people and probably indirectly up to a million people. Has the U.S. media and government been chattering about investigations for war crimes and crimes against humanity? No, it hasn't. So, this this just really underscores the need to again proceed from the interests of humanity to uh, and to not count on and side with any of these reactionary and repressive regimes and this is why 
one of the key points in our um, our two key demands in our emergency appeal, the lives of Iran's political prisoners hang in the balance. We must act now. Or to Iran, we demand free all political prisoners now. To the U.S. government, no threats or war moves against Iran lift U.S. sanctions. Um, so it's very important, uh, you know, to stand, you know, not pick sides between different reactionaries, but proceed from the interests of humanity in fighting for a whole different and much better future. All right, Larry, and, uh, you know, i got to say, everything you've been talking about, it's just people got to listen to this. They actually got to catch it in their heart as well as their head, you know, and understand what the hell is going on and what we need to do about it, who stands with the people and who stands against them. And that's something that's very, very important for people to understand. Now, Larry, we gotta, we're going to have to make a quick move on, but I, always, I want you to I want to thank you for joining us today and tell people where they can get more information and how to get hold of it. Well, look, first, glad to be with you, Michael. Very important issue. Uh, our website, free Iran's political prisoners now.org, free Iran's political prisoners now.org, and follow us on social media, mainly Twitter, also Instagram and Facebook, at Iran Prison Emerge. Iran Prison E-M-E-R-G, and sign the appeal and read the information that's on the website and share all of this on social media and become part of the campaign because nothing is going to happen without your involvement, without everybody contributing whatever they can to this fight. And as I said at the beginning, the fact that Anushe and Nazanin have been freed is in large part because of the fight of their family, but also people all around the world, including people like Noam Chomsky and Judith Butler, Nobel laureates Jody Williams and Shireen Abadi, Cornell West, Ariel Dorfman, Dan Ellsberg, and thousands of others who signed this this emergency appeal we put out, as well as the efforts of other organizations, human rights groups, and so on. Uh, this does make a difference, and now's the moment uh, to act uh, very energetically and very broadly and very boldly to demand the freedom for these prisoners, the dual nationals, uh on Roof, Morad Tabaz, Nahid Tagavi, Nargis Mohammadi, and and hundreds and hundreds more. All right, Larry, I want to emphasize keep us and uh, you know, keep us in, in, in what's happening there. Keep it on so we can actually go to people and say, This is what needs to be done. This is what you need you need to pay attention to. This is an extremely important thing. And I want to thank you for joining us today. And again, basically Keep us in in the loop, all right? We need to actually, people need to actually know what's happening and what they need to do about it, all right? Glad to do it, Michael. All right, Larry. All right, take care, man. This is the Michael Slate Show, and we've been talking with Larry Everest, author and activist with the uh, International Emergency Campaign to Free Iran's Political Prisoners. We're going to take a quick musical break and be right back, so stay tuned.
بس را بسوزم بیا در خیابان صداشو بلرزم تو بنیاد زندان نه تیر و تنابو نه کشتار آسان فقط حق انسان فقط حق انسان All right, one day we're going to play that the entire way out, all right? That's just it's very meaningful and very important. Revolutionary May Day, May 1st, there will be a celebration organized by the Revcoms under the slogan, No U.S. No US NATO War with Russia, No World War III. It's this system, not humanity, that needs to become extinct. This system, not humanity, that needs to become extinct. We don't accept their future. It's time to get organized for a real revolution. All right, as I promised, we will now hear a speech given by Sansara Taylor in New York, April 9th at, at a protest by, by Rise Up for the Abortion Rights. Sansara Taylor is a writer for Revcom.us and a co-initiator of Rise Up for Abortion Rights. So check this out. This is Sansara Taylor at uh, April 9th. How you feeling, sisters and brothers, beautiful people? Last December, the Supreme Court heard arguments in a case out of Mississippi, Dobbs versus Women's Jackson Health, Jackson Women's Health. And this is a case that could upend, could overturn the landmark 1973 Roe v. Wade decision that first granted women the right to abortion nationwide. And during that hearing, the fascist majority on the court made it crystal clear and gave every indication that they are on track to take this right away. This is an emergency, sisters and brothers. And during that hearing, that fascist theocrat who Donald Trump put on the court, Amy Coney Barrett, she asked, she said, what's the big deal? What's the big deal about forcing a woman to carry a pregnancy she doesn't want and have a child she doesn't want because there are laws that say she could just drop the baby off at a police station. Think about the cruelty of that. Think about the violence of that. Think about the state being given the power to hijack a woman's body, to turn her into an incubator, to force her to undergo nine months of pregnancy, with all the health risks that entails, with all the stigma and the judgment that often comes with that, with all the force and the humiliation of being taken over by the state and the trauma of having to wonder for your life, what became of that child you were forced to create? Think about that. This is one of the people who has the power right now if we do not stand up to decide the fate of women. And think about all of the women who will be forced to have children they do not want, who will have their lives foreclosed, their dreams shattered. Think about the daughters and the brutality that will be brought down on them by parents and fathers who think they brought shame on their family. Think about the women who will be forced to drop out of school or lose their jobs or be driven into poverty. Think about the women 
men will be trapped in abuse. The shotgun marriage is the lifetime of misery. This is why we say, and it is true, forced motherhood is female enslavement. I want you to say that. Forced motherhood is female enslavement. Now say this, when women are not free, no one is free. Only the people can stop this. And I want you to understand that every attack on abortion over the last several decades, every woman who's been harassed and called a murderer outside a clinic door, every doctor who has been assassinated, every law and restriction that has been passed, all of them are unjust. None of them were fought the way they needed to be fought. But understand this. They have all led to the moment we are in today. We are at a tipping point where the highest court in the land is on track to take this right away, to bring the full force of the state down on the half of humanity that is born female and to unleash a living nightmare. This is the tipping point. This is the tipping point, and this is where we must draw a line and fight like our lives, like the lives of women and girls and future generations are on the line because they are our. Last week I was here in this square and we were building for this rally and I had this green bandana. And a woman from Argentina came running up. She knew what it meant. And I'll talk about that in a minute, but she had advice. For the women of this country, this means abortion rights. This means struggle for abortion rights. This means not asking politely, but getting out in the streets and demanding it. And she came up and I said, what are your lessons for women in this country? And she said, listen up. It is far easier to defend a right while you still have it than to fight to bring it back after you've lost it. The time is now. So how are we going to do this? Because they have the court and they are on track. And look around, we've got a beautiful crowd, but not nearly enough people. How are we going to do this? There is a flyer that we are handing out today. Everybody needs to get it. And there are two crucial things we need to do. And they're concentrated on this flyer. Number one, we need to let people know all across this society, you are here because you know and you care. But trust me, most people don't even know that this right is on the line. Most people have no idea, and they will not find out if we don't go out and wake them up. And the second thing we need to do is we need to act with courage and defiance. We need to stand up. We need to put it on the line, and we need to rouse the courage and the fighting spirit in millions of others. I want to read what this flyer says. It says... It's very simple. It says the U.S. Supreme Court is poised to take away women's right to abortion this spring. Only the people can stop it. Take to the streets and rise up for abortion rights now. Abortion on demand and without apology, forced motherhood is female enslavement. 
Lord is going to do. And I've talked about forced motherhood as female enslavement, but I want to focus on these words now in this flyer, where it says only the people can stop this. It is very important. The courts are not going to stop this. They are packed with fascists. Voting in the elections is not going to stop this. The fascist Republican Party is rigging the elections, suppressing the vote, and they have already made clear that they are willing to use violence to overturn any election they lose. And the Democratic Party is not going to stop this. Biden won't even say the word abortion. And the Democratic Party is busy seeking common ground with these religious fanatics and fascists and appealing to their decency. Even while these fascists kick them in the teeth and threaten their lives. And this will not be stopped by relying on the official women's movement where the so-called leaders of this so-called movement are telling people that there's nothing you can do but accept the fall of Roe v. Wade and prepare for a post-Roe world. Hell no! Only the people can stop this. Only the people, that is you, each of you, and those we get out there and wake them up and mobilize them. And we can do this. Because we have right on our side. We are standing for the interests of millions and millions of women and girls, whether they know it yet or not. And we can do this because there is a suppressed fury, a rage that is deep in the hearts of women across this country and around this world at thousands and thousands of years of patriarchal chains, of brutality and control, of enslavement and shame. And there is a fury that can be woken up and aroused as these chains of oppression are being tightened yet again. But that will not be woken up if we don't go up and mobilize it and act on our fury and act with courage and put it on the line. And that is what we must do. Merle talked about how a few days ago people would rise up for abortion rights, get in the face of Amy Coney Barrett and called her out. We need this all over the country. Acts of courage and defiance right up in the face of these fascists that cannot be ignored. They get caught in the media that stir and wake others up. We need street theater, we need flash mobs, we need civil disobedience, we need walkouts. We need each of you to be part of putting your heads together and organizing and strategizing. How are we going to act to wake others up? And do not Tell yourself it cannot be done. We all lived through that beautiful rising. Just two years ago, the beautiful rising against the police murder of Breonna Taylor and George Floyd. We all saw the conscience of the people of this country be woken up by people who drew a line and said no more. I was in Minneapolis. Don't let them steal from you the memories and the lessons of what we accomplished. I saw thousands, thousands of young people, mainly white, sit down in the streets and refuse to move as the National Guard came at them with tear gas and rubber canisters. They did it because black lives matter. And they changed the hearts of millions of people and they did it quickly across this country. And women's lives matter too. 
And we have to get out there and arouse the same kind of fight. And I want to tell you the Supreme Court and all the other rulers, they are political institutions. They look out at the society and they judge the popular will and what they can get away with. And when people sat down and let them take away the right to abortion in Texas without rising up, without walking out, without shutting down the freeways, without bringing society to a halt, they got the signal, these Christian fascists, that they could put their foot on the accelerator and come for the rights of women across this country, and they have been. So we have to rise up and make it clear to the Supreme Court and the fascists everywhere else that there will be a political price to pay in their legitimacy, in the eyes of millions, in the eyes of people around the world. That is what we can change when we rise up. And on the week, this is also on the flyer, May 8th through 14th, and we're having an organizing Zoom next weekend. On Saturday, you all need to join it to learn, to bring your ideas, to get organized. May 8th through 18th, we are having a national week of rising up for abortion rights, and we need walkouts, and we need shutdowns, and we need acts on stage and in the sciences, in the arts, in the schools, in the streets, in the institutions and workplaces, everywhere. We need to rock this society and make it clear that they, if they lay their hands on the right to abortion, if they lay their hands on women's bodies and lives, their society will be prevented from functioning at all. And as we go forward in this fight, we are going to lift our heads and we are going to struggle over and ask the big questions. What kind of society do we live in where these rights are under attack 50 years after they were won? What is it going to take to win this fight once and for all? And we're going to have different views in how we come at this. And we're not going to agree on everything. But I want to tell you, I come at this as a follower of the revolutionary leader, Bob Avakian. He is the architect of the new communism. And he is a big reason why I am such a ferocious fighter for abortion rights and the liberation of women. Because I see this as central to the emancipation of all of humanity. And I want to read to you a quote from him that has powerful insight. He says this whole question of the position and role of women in society is more and more acutely posed in today's extreme circumstances. This is a powder keg in the U.S. today. It is not conceivable that all this will find any resolution other than in the most radical terms and through extremely violent means. The question yet to be determined is will it be a radical reactionary or a radical revolutionary resolution? Will it mean the reinforcing of the chains of enslavement or the shattering of the most decisive links in those chains and the opening up of the possibility of realizing the complete elimination of all forms of such enslavement? This is what is concentrated in this fight right now, and this is how I come at it and invite you to come at it as part of building to bring about a whole better world where all humanity is emancipated. And I invite you 
to tune in and learn more about the revolution I'm part of on the YouTube show I co-host, the RNL Revolution Nothing Less show, every Thursday night. Find out about it. And I want to say, once again, that the future I want and the future you want, even if there are differences, none of them are possible if we lay down and accept half of humanity being enslaved. So now is the time for us to stand shoulder to shoulder together, to find our courage, to rise to this moment in history, and to wake others up. We need to wave this bandana and wear it every day. And I want you to say it with me. Abortion on demand and without apology. Abortion on demand and without apology. Abortion on demand and without apology. Rise up, wear green. Rise up, wear green. Rise up. All right, that was Sansara Taylor speaking at a rally in New York on April 9th. Pleased to welcome to the show Skylar Solomon, an organizer with Rise Up for Abortion Rights in Los Angeles. Skylar, welcome to the show. Hi, Michael. Thank you so much for having me. Sure. Well, we're going to jump in and talk really a lot and really stuffing it all in as, as much as we can. First, I want to—I'd I'd like to talk about where we are at right now for abortion rights in the U.S. Well, we we are on the precipice of a major emergency facing abortion rights right now. We've seen over 525 pieces of legislation in what seems to be a fight to who can be the cruelest pass within the past three months. And the Supreme Court is poised to overturn Roe versus Wade. And if they are allowed to be successful in this, approximately 28 states overnight will ban abortion and leave millions in the lurch without rights to their own bodies and, and without the choice of who gets to use them. You know, it's, it's incredible when you're sitting here and you're, li- you're listening to this and, you know, you're just even seeing the way that things seem to be, there's, there's this sort of atmosphere that, that, that is just like growing and growing and growing. And then the, the, the real need, the real need for people to step up in ways that maybe they thought they could never step up, but that they, they know that there's something that needs to be done. And I'd like to talk a little bit about this because, you know, look, it's, it's um, people, you know, basically laws are being passed and implemented, and as we said, and they are, they are very open in their absolute hatred of women. And this is something that I don't think a lot of people get this, what it means, the significance of this. This is very, they're very open in the abs- their absolute hatred of women. And then the case of Lizelle Herrera in Texas, which... Uh, you know, which would should be a wake-up call for everyone saying, don't worry, we've got the abortion pills, so don't have to worry about anything. Let's talk about that. Right. So we actually did launch a campaign uh, which was themed, We Are All Lizelle Herrera. And uh, teams throughout the U.S. yesterday did flash protests uh, to both raise awareness to the situation and also call people to take action. Because you're right, um, you know, if, if abortion is allowed to continue to be demonized, if women on a federal level are marked as, as subclass, you know, second-class citizens, 
and, and incubators, then, then it is going to become an epidemic of, of women and pregnant people being, being put in prison, being criminalized for not only self-induced abortions, but miscarriages as well. In the past 15 years, 1,200 people have been put in prison for a miscarriage. And, and for those who don't know, miscarriages are incredibly common. They happen in about one in five pregnancies. And so this is, this is heinous what they are doing here. And it, it will continue in greater and greater numbers with the Jackson women and criminalizing them for, for taking control of their own bodies or, or having something happen, which is very normal. Yeah. You know, it's a, one, one problem that people face today is that many supporters of abortion rights don't even know the danger that we're in. And, and, the, and the treacherous so-called leaders of the so-called women's movement aren't telling them. They're, uh, they're, they talk about a post-real world like it's no big thing. You know, what, what, uh, what, are the, what are the horrors that we're facing today? People have to know this, right? They have to get a taste of this about how horrible it is. What, what are the horrors that we are facing today? What is the situation for tens of millions of women? And what could it look like very soon? Right. Well, um, you know, we, we have a, a history of this, and, and we know exactly what what a post-Roe world will look like, and that is uh, a lot of dead women, unfortunately, because, uh, you know, as, as we learned with Lizelle Herrera, um, women are now filled with terror for going to the doctor if they do have complications from a self-induced abortion or a miscarriage. And we've seen in the past you know, stories of, of Jerry Santoro, uh, who was so desperate to terminate a pregnancy that she uh, had her partner shove a coat hanger up her vagina, and she ended up bleeding to death alone on a hotel floor. And that is going to be the reality for people who are in these states and beyond who cannot fund uh, driving to another state, taking time off work, you know, getting transportation to get there to get a safe abortion. And, and the legislators, the anti-choicers who, who are seeking to, to uh, criminalize this piece of health care, they're not just going to stop in conservative states. There are talks going on right now about banning birth control and about uh, with a fetal personhood bill. And that would give a cluster of cells more rights than the person that it resides inside of. And that that's truly horrific. And it's not science fiction. It's not uh, over-exaggerated. Those are talks that have been discussed in public from these people. They seek to completely ban abortion everywhere. And that's that's going to leave leave women in in, in a in a compromised position without you know, without the rights to their own body, without being seen as equal citizens, and and that's why we say that that forced motherhood is female enslavement. Yeah, <laughs> and talk about just you know if you have any sense of humanity, just to hear what you just said is enough to you know, it makes your skin crawl, but it also should be making people extremely angry and talking about dedicating themselves to actually going up against all this that are happening that's happening to women and to society at large but especially what's happening to women you know now th this whole point around uh, we've been talking about the the, the the horrors that we're facing what's the situation for hundreds of millions and and what it would look like very soon 
We also have to talk about this. Rise Up for Abortion Rights was founded in January, the we- and, and the website says abortion on demand without apology. Forced motherhood is female enslavement. Rise up, wear green. Let's talk about that, especially the green wave. But I really want to talk about this as a whole, but including a big, a big, big shout out for the green wave, because I think this is the stuff that people can't, you know, too many people. And I, I had a lot of friends, you know, way back when I was younger, a lot of women who were, you know, they basically, when they tried to get an abortion, all kinds of horrendous stuff was being done to them. Women, friends who died because that somebody, somebody who claimed that he was, well, well, I'm not exactly a doctor, but I know how to do it. You know, and those were the kinds of things that people had to go up against. And now we're looking at this today in terms of, you know, rise up for abortion rights, what's founded in, it was founded in January, and, and the website says that abortion on demand without apology, forced motherhood is female enslavement, all of this. Let's talk about that because it's something people need to understand. Right. So I think you know, it's very important for people to understand as well that um, you know this this is a, a broader attack on women, and and this also um, this is a very calculated attack that has been a rallying point for conservatives for decades, and it's being used as a battering ram for a greater assault on freedoms. And so, you know, the the states. That, that have, have criminalized abortion, they're also trying to criminalize and, and end the distribution of the abortion pill. They're trying to uh, make it a felony for any uh, person and, um, who helps a woman go out of state to get an abortion and criminalize women who go out of state for getting an abortion. And so, uh, you know, legal analysts have equated this to the Fugitive Slave Act. And... You know, this is this is a hunting of women for for getting health care. Sometimes desperately needed health care. We saw in in Idaho, and you know, luckily that piece of legislation ended up being stripped because of public pressure that was, was put on them. But they wanted to make it a, a felony to seek medical treatment for an ectopic pregnancy, which is a non-viable pregnancy that forms most often in the fallopian tubes, and if left untreated, is fatal. They wanted to criminalize getting medical care for that. So these are the stakes that we're looking at. And I wanted to circle back to what I mentioned about this Idaho piece of legislation uh, regarding ectopic pregnancy. They removed it because of public pressure. So this is, we are already seeing the effectiveness that when people rise up, when they speak out and say, this is not all right, we will not allow this to happen, and politicians do change things. And you know, what the, the green wave that we're building here and, you know, the inspiration that we took from it, from, from Arge- which it, where it started in Argentina, uh, where it was continued in Colombia and Mexico, they turned out in their millions in the streets wearing greens and cre- created a national crisis that changed the minds of politicians, and they won the right to abortion. And we can do that here because defending a right that we have is so much easier than trying to win it back once lost. And so we are creating, we're building a coalition of individuals and organizations to get out into the street, to put as much pressure on our politicians and on the Supreme Court as possible to let them know that we will not let them strip us of our rights. We will not allow it. We will not go quietly. And if they dare to take moves to to 
enslave us, to subjugate us, to make us subhuman, then there will be hell to pay because us and our masses could shut down society. Mm-hmm. I have one more question for you. Very important what you've mm-hmm. just said, really important. But um, this is all maddening and enraging. Now, I'm angry, but everyone needs to be angry, and they need to be angry together in the streets and wearing green. What's next? I know there's a week of action next month. Tell people what it is and how they can get involved in this. Yes, we have so many ways that people can get involved in whatever capacity that they feel comfortable with or have the time for. Our week of action, which is going to be May 8th through the 15th, we will be posting about it more uh, as time goes on. And this is going to be a week of, of bold actions, of banner drops, of flyering, of protests, and much, much more. So if anyone is interested in getting involved with that uh, or in building a chapter of your own, of, of reaching out to different organizations, then they should visit the website, rise up the number four abortionright.org, or you can follow us on social media. Uh, that would be rise the number four abortion rights. Mm-hmm. All right, Skylar, I want to thank you very much for joining us today. Hello? Thank you, David. Sure. Thank you very much for joining us today and spreading the word. We really have got to get this out as far and wide as we can. This is, this is incredibly important for all humans on the planet, all right? And we're going, I'm, being, I'm getting the signal to run, run, run. <laughs> so i got to go now. But th- thank you very much for joining us today. And I'd like to thank my assistant producer, Henry Carson, and my engineer, Wendell, and each and every one of you for tuning in. You can write to me at mslate at themichaelslateshow.com.